pretty good group for Labor Day, you know, sometimes people go out of town, so we're thankful you're all here today, and uh, hope God will bless you for being here this morning. Uh, well, this is about nine years ago this weekend uh, when God called me, as I put in the bulletin, to be pastor here at First Baptist. It's been about nine years, and it's clear when I look at pictures from that time that things have changed, uh, if you know what I mean, uh, with myself, not necessarily with y'all, but with myself, and uh, physical changes. I had a lot more hair. It's a lot darker, and uh, I looked back and I saw a picture, and I said to myself, that's why I started growing a beard, you know, and uh, even our children are a lot different. You know, they were six, ages six, four, and 18 months old when we came here, and now they are all nine years older, so you can do the math if you like, uh, but uh, I can't do it that quick. But they were all nine years older, and they even saw a picture of them from just a few years ago, and the, the girls did, and they just thought it was funny and laughed about how young they looked and, they, and everything. And so uh, Facebook and apps will give you these memories of years ago, and you think, golly, what in the world? And you see how things have changed over time. And so it's clear that over time, you know, physical changes take place, whether we realize it or not. They, they, take, they take place. And just as time changes on the outside, changes you on the outside, as I'm sure you can relate to that, time doesn't change you on the inside. Not necessarily. You don't necessarily become more like Jesus just because you get older. You don't necessarily become a nicer person just because you have less hair on your head or because you're more wise. Sometimes uh, time makes people worse. Sometimes people get meaner. They get more evil with time. It's clear that physical changes will, will, will show up with time, but and just as time changes you on the outside, the only thing that really changes you on the inside is loving Jesus. Loving Jesus is what's going to change you on the inside. So we're looking at Colossians today, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Heavenly Father, as we look at this challenging passage today, Lord, we all if we are in the right place with our heart, uh, we'll come to this and know that we don't measure up. Know that we still are wearing the old garments. We have not put on completely the new self. And Father, 
you give us the reason. The reason is we don't love you enough. So Lord, change our hearts today. Help us love you more and what you've done for us more so that we then can set our minds on the eternal things, not the earthly things. Father, I pray that your word will speak through me today, that you fill me with your spirit, that we hear, we all hear what we need to hear from your word today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today I want to show you three things that loving Jesus brings about change in your life. Three ways that loving Jesus brings about change in our lives. First is that loving Jesus changes your priorities. Loving Jesus changes your priorities. Paul says in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now Christ is literally seated at the right hand of God, but he's also, he's also speaking metaphorically as well as we think about literal above, but also having our minds out of this world into the, the, the area of heaven where Jesus is. And when he says metaphorically, he's talking about a different frame of mind. The things above means the things that are concerned with God, the things that are concerned with eternity. If you have new life in Jesus, then now you have new priorities. 2 Corinthians 5 says as much. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But as we saw last week, this can't be accomplished by simply changing our behavior. It can maybe work for a little bit, but not long term. And it can't be accomplished by just changing your life habits because it won't stick long term. It comes from a changed heart. Your priorities will really change when your heart for God changes. Verse 2 says to, to then set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Now this phrase, set your mind, it only occurs two other times in the entire Bible, and both are in the Old Testament. The first occurrence is in 1 Samuel 9.20. And the context is that Samuel is telling the newly anointed King Saul to not set his mind on his donkeys that were lost three days prior. <laughs> king Saul had, had lost his donkeys, and he was just anointed king. And he says, don't set your mind on that. Don't worry about that. Don't be concerned about that because you're getting ready to become king of Israel and you'll, all the donkeys are going to be yours. Right? The second occurrence of this phrase is, appears in 1 Chronicles when King David is urging his son Solomon and the other leaders to prepare to build the temple. Because David can't build it, but Solomon was going to build it. And so 2 Chronicles 22.19 says this, now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Arise and go build the sanctuary of the Lord your God. So this idea of set your mind has this idea of be concerned with this. Don't be concerned with A. Instead, be concerned with B. Set your priorities straight. Prioritize your life in such a way. And Paul says to prioritize them in such a way with eternal matters, not temporal matters just like a king doesn't need to worry about losing three donkeys christians don't need to worry about the things of the world we are to set our mind on the things of god in the heavenly matters the things of the world that worry people 
and consume people's thoughts really should have no bearing upon you anymore. Now, it's very natural to be concerned about things you see on the television. It's natural to be concerned about wars and rumors of wars. It's natural to be concerned about inflation and outcomes of votes and things like that. That's natural to be concerned about it. But he says, don't set your mind on it. Don't set your mind on it. Set your mind on the eternal things. He, he has in mind with this the, the legalism, the experiences the people were seeking. They were seeking to worship and get validation. We talked about last week. But he says, don't set your mind on it. Why? Verse 3, he tells you why not. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, you've died to the old patterns of thinking. You've died to the old patterns of living. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This means that in some kind of mysterious way, your life is now part of the life of Jesus. Amazing thing to think about. Your identity is now in Jesus. Your identity is, not, no, is no longer in who you were. It's no longer in where you live or who your family is or what you do or where you work or in not who your family is or not what you do or not where you work. It's not in any of that. It's in Christ and Christ alone. That's your identity. And the final reward that you will receive because that is better than anything this life can offer you. Look at verse 4. He says, so then when Christ, who is your life, not who is a part of your life, not who is 20% of your life, he is what? Your life. When the Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear in glory. If Jesus was just a part of your life, you would not appear in glory when he did. He says, but because he is your whole life, when he comes back, you will be raised with a glorified body as well and you will have eternal life with him. Why? Not because he's just something you do on the weekend, but because he is your life. In eternity, you'll be like Christ, and that both will be made perfect. And so it's your final end goal. It's your final destination. So he says, don't set your mind on the world's priorities. Shift your priorities to the way Christian's way of thinking. But in order to do that, he says, you have to love me more than the world. We have to love him more than the world. You know, sometimes I'm glad that I'm a Gamecock fan. You know why? Because seven and five after record after seven and five record for years, it, out of my heart doesn't get too caught up in that. But you know, if they never lost and won all the time, I would struggle. Sometimes I, I feel bad for Clemson fans. You have a heart pull I don't have. That expectation of, you know, hey, can we win it all this year? Well, I don't have that, really. I'm just trying to get to a bowl game, right? Just trying to get to a bowl game. You know? And so things are pulling our hearts. Pull, and, and sometimes the better they are, the harder it is to, 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 to tell them no. So what are Christian priorities? Well, they, they, number one, the first thing is that it's just it's that God is first in everything. It seems silly to say that, but it's the truth. God is first in everything. Exodus 23 says this. The first commandment says this. You shall have no other gods before me no other gods so if your priorities if you want your priorities to change you have to love god and to love god you got to put him first you got to put him first you know if i had my wife fifth or sixth on the list of important things in my life and i told you i love my wife uh, you wouldn't you would say prove it to me <laughs> she's fifth or sixth on your list do you really love her 
Are you putting God first? And what do you need to change about your priorities to make that happen? And the next two points then show us more of those priorities. So number two is that loving Jesus changes your behavior. Loving Jesus changes your behavior. Just like a child that loves their parents, really loves their parents, they will behave better. If we love our Lord and Savior, our behavior changes. Look at verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That of, that, those things that the world says are important. And he names five areas. And these five areas are sins that primarily affect yourself. And then he's going to give five more that we'll, we'll cover in a second that primarily affect other people. But these primarily affect yourself. And he names them. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. So he's urging the Colossians to change their behavior. And he lists several areas of life where there should be a discernible change. Now, these behaviors are difficult to conquer, which is why he says to put them to death. Why he says to kill them. We can't just avoid them. Uh, we have to put them to death. You know, if you were at the house and you went ready, got ready to go to bed and you heard a rattle sound in your room and you didn't have a baby rattle in your house and you heard a hissing sound and there was a rattlesnake in your room, would you just try to avoid that snake? I'm not talking about those nice little black snakes that eat your mice and things like that. I'm talking about a rattlesnake where if you try to jump over it, it will snap. What do you do? Would you, would you just try to avoid it, act like it wasn't there? Or would you, or if I, what I would do, I would call a friend, and a friend would come over and kill that thing. It's at least a two-man job. What if one of it gets bit, right? You would kill it because you have to. You have no other choice. Now, some of you might say, well, technically, you can get a rattlesnake out. I'm not real. I'm not technical. I'm living in a life. You would kill that thing if it was a threat to you, right? So he's saying these have to be put to death. These are serious things, and he lists them. Number one, sexual immorality. Any sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. Now, it was normalized to live however you want to live in the culture of Colossae, and they dealt with it, and then we deal with it in our own culture. Our own culture tells us it's okay to live and do however you want to do. It doesn't really matter. You do you. You got one life to live. You're not hurting anybody, but maybe yourself. But it doesn't matter what our culture tells us is right and wrong. It doesn't matter what they attempt to say is good or permissible. God's Word says these type of relationships are earthly. Are earthly. There's, there's no sexually immoral act that you will do that will make you love Jesus more. That's what he's saying. So you have to kill them. Then he talks about impurity or just this is a general uncleanness. Any type of selfish thoughts you have ungodly thoughts you have any activity you do that doesn't bring honor to your body he says you have to kill those things passion nothing wrong with being passionate but in this context it refers to anything that you might be obsessed over that you might lust for it could be anything it could be a relationship it could be a job it could be a location change some of you said man i'd love to live at the beach i mean are you obsessed with living at the beach I love to, to move here. I love to have this job. I love to have this relationship. He says, you, you, the, the passions you have, don't set your mind on those things. 
He then mentions an evil desire. This is a, an eagerness, a longing to do wrong. You know, we're all sinners. We all have desires to do wrong from time to time. That person cuts you off in traffic. You have an evil desire to do wrong sometimes, don't you? Road rage is a real thing. It's a real thing for a real reason. He says, kill those desires. And then fifth, he talks about this idea of covetousness, which literally is to desire an advantage over someone. To, to be better than them, to, to one-up them. Well, they have this nice truck, I'm getting a nicer truck, or at least got to equal their truck. They add on to their house, I got to add on to our house. They took a great vacation, we got to take a great vacation. And they start coveting things. He says, these are earthly ways of thinking. These are not heavenly ways of thinking. And if you're going to set your mind on those ways and love those things, not me, your behavior will never change. You have to love me, these behaviors, desires are against the will of God. As you love Christ more, God says to put them to death. And you have to kill them because they're dangerous. Just like that rattlesnake, they will kill us instead. How many movies have you watched where the good guy has to kill the bad guy? You know, usually there's a good, almost every movie, especially an action movie, there's a good guy, there's a bad guy. And if the good guy has to kill the bad guy, almost inevitably it was because there was no other choice. The bad guy spent his entire, the entire movie trying to kill the good guy or to do evil things. And if the good guy kills him, if he has to resort to killing him, it is out of absolute necessity for his own life. And just like that rattlesnake in your bedroom, that's the kind of thing Paul is talking about. He says, you have to put these to death because if you don't, they will kill you. Furthermore, verse 6, this is the reason, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These behaviors are why God's judgment's coming. These behaviors are what God, the Bible calls sin. These behaviors are why God sent Jesus in the first place. These behaviors are why we are here today, so that we can worship Jesus Christ, because he saved us from our sins. He's, he's given us eternal life through his death on the cross. This is why we are saved. This is what he saved us from. And then he tells us a reminder in verse 7. I can see this is almost like a father trying to get a child to behave. He says, you know, you used to be like this. <laughs> in these two you once walked when you were living in them. You used to be this way. This was your way of life. But now they need to die. And then verse 8, he talks about five more areas that affect mainly how we deal with other people. The first five are kind of how we deal with ourselves. The next five are kind of how we deal with other people. And he names them. He says, you know, put them all away. He says, anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Anger. Now, you can be angry and not sin. The Bible tells us that. But sinful anger is something different. It is a way to try to punish people for what they've done to you. Now, they don't have to have sinned against you. You might just not like what they did or what they said or what, what they didn't do. And so you get angry at someone because they did not meet your expectation of what you thought should be. So you're angry at them. Well, getting angry at someone for that is not our job. You know whose job it is? It's God's job. Because he's the judge. We're not the judge. They, what, what, aren't, you, aren't you just thankful that you are not the judge. We judge people all day long, but what if you really had to judge everyone? You know, Moses tried to do that. He almost burned out. His father-in-law said, you can't judge all these people. 
It's a million of you. You need help. You're not the judge. God is the judge. And, his, and how he deals with anger is much more fair, really, than how we are, and much more condemning as well. Secondly, he, he mentions wrath. Now, wrath is more of an, an, an outburst of anger. Just kind of a, an episode, just anger out of nowhere. Something's in building, and this rage just, just, just comes out. You ever had someone just lose their temper in a rage? This is what this is. And this word is the same word used for the rage that Satan will have in Revelation 12, 2, when he's thrown into the abyss. It says that he was enraged. So when we act like that, when we have a, a rage type of outburst, it is satanic. It's modeled by Satan, not by God. So he says, get rid of wrath. Three, get rid of malice. This means just, just having an evil, a, a, just a mean disposition. Just being mean to people. Just pure meanness. I'm not saying you think they're mean, but they're really nice. I'm talking about, no, they're mean. Being mean. He says, get rid of it. Fourth, slander. That's where we get our word for blasphemy. This is speaking evil of another person. The other day, my uh, daughter, one of my daughters was, I was talking to a friend of hers. and I said, what were y'all talking about? And she said, oh, we were just gossiping. I said, what? <laughs> and I said, what do you mean by that? And so she started to explain to me what she meant. And, and what she meant was they were just discussing. They were just dis discussing their lives and getting caught up and talking about what this person did. But there was no slander. There was no real gossip. They were just kind of discussing things. I said, well, honey, that's not, that's not gossip. Like, that's not what the Bible, well, that's what everybody calls it. I'm like, well, the world has redefined the word gossip. That's just talking and just catching up. I said, gossip is sin. Like, she goes, what? I said, what? I said gossip is when you're, you're talking about someone and you just try to, to really ruin their reputation, talk about how horrible they are, and you just talk bad about them all the time. That's gossip. She goes, well, we weren't doing that. I said, okay. I didn't think you were. So don't go around telling people you're gossiping. <laughs> Say you were catching up on life, right? But apparently that's what the kids nowadays call gossip. That's not gossip. Biblical gossip, biblical slander is speaking evil of that person, trying to destroy their reputation. Now, we do do that from time to time. People do that. But that's what he's saying. As a Christian, that's not what you should be concerned with. Fifth, and he mentions this obscene talk, just foul language, just filthy speech. And, and, and one thing that, that I think social media platforms have revealed that's always been there, but now we see it more, Things like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, it's really revealed these type of behaviors, even in Christians. It's not unusual to see comments online from people, those that are Christians that slander people. They're angry, there's malice, there's obscene talk, you know. First of all, it's cowardly because it's online. Secondly, it's just, it's just sinful. And it's sinful because when we talk like that about any person, any, even if, they are, if we think they're the worst person on the face of the earth, if we talk, if we slander someone and talk bad about someone, especially in public like that, and try to destroy the reputation, it's, it's still sin because that person, no matter how bad they are, how bad we think they are, they are still created by the same God that created us. They're still made in the image of God, just like you and me. God's patient. He's long-suffering. He wishes that none should perish. Not even the worst possible person we can think of. That none should perish, but all should come to eternal life in Jesus. So it doesn't matter how awful we think someone is. 
If we write about it, if we, if we, uh, if we slander someone, if we have obscene, obscene talk, Jesus says, I have died to rescue from that need to do that. Love me, you won't have that need anymore. Loving Jesus more means that, that, that we don't need to say and do things that are not godly. And so if you focus on loving Jesus, see, we can focus on not doing them. We, we learned last week that doesn't help. We have to replace it with something else, but, and that is focusing on loving Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, the more you love even the worst person you can imagine. And you'll love them. Remember, God's a judge, not us. So loving Jesus changes our behavior. Number three, finally, loving Jesus changes your image. How people see you. Not how you see you. Loving Jesus changes how people see you. Every now and then, you'll know you've been around someone who truly loves Jesus. You know why? You can just feel it radiating off of them. You can just see it in their face. You can feel it in their countenance. That they really love Jesus. Because their image has been changed. Verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See, many times we live in a state of self-deception with our behaviors. We, we put forth a, a certain image of what we think people see us or how they see us, but, but we're not living up to that image. We, we try to show that we're, we're good inside, but we're lying to each other. But people can see that. People can see that. It's like my friend in high school one time. who, who uh, We were talking about humility, and she told me, she says, you know, I, just, I think I'm just really the most humble person I know. I said, do you realize what you're saying? Like, you understand the words coming out of your mouth right now, right? She's like, I just think I'm just like one of the most humble people I know. I think I'm very humble. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? And so she had a very poor self-idea of what she was saying and how she was viewed. And many times as Christians, we, we come across as being a believer, but then if we could see how others viewed us, we wouldn't think that sometimes. Why? Because we're still wearing the old clothes. It says in verse 10, put on the new self. Take off the old self. Put on the new self. See, some of us are still wearing those old ratty shirts with holes in them and mustard stains. And we think we're wearing something we do that are brand new. And we show up in these ratty clothes and, and holes in our shoes and holes in our shirts. And we think we look like we just, you know, got off, you know, Rodeo Drive. And we didn't. We don't see it. But people say, why is he still wearing that? Somebody buy him a new shirt. Oh, he thinks it's new. What? That's crazy. Yeah. So many times we deceive ourselves. We think we've changed. We haven't. We're incompatible. This word for old is the same word that Jesus used when he's talking about putting new wine in old wine skins and, and patching an old garment with a new material. They're incompatible. You're a new wine skin, and you can't be put into an old wine skin and it'll burst. And so he says in verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Much like a new wine skin, if you're in Christ, you are new, you are filled with new wine. And that new wine is the Holy Spirit. It's filled you. And the old body can't hold the Spirit, and the new body has the Spirit. So we become dressed in new clothes. Right? The new clothes aren't just nice and expensive. They are the image of God is what that is. It's a metaphor. People can tell when you've been in the image of God. But too many of us try to wear the raggedy, torn clothes, and we try to tell everyone that they're brand new. 
And we're not fooling them because they see through it, but we fool ourselves. But if we really love Jesus, our image changes, people can tell. People can see, you should not be, I should not be the same man I was nine years ago. I should be a much, and hopefully I am, a much more gentle, loving person than I was even nine years ago. And so should you. And he reminds me in verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free. He's saying this. He said, listen, the world's going to want to say your identity is in this or that or this category. He said, it doesn't matter who you once were. You are all now in Christ. You are in Christ together. And that is who you are. So you love Jesus more than just your preferred lifestyle, your preferred marker. Love Jesus. And the good news is he tells us in Philippians 1 this. And I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you might bring it to completion possibly could bring it to completion know what's it say will bring it to completion the day of jesus christ we are all works in progress and the more we love jesus the faster we get there and when jesus comes back it will be complete and heaven will be a place where none of these behaviors are none of these activities are it really, be a, really will be a, a place of peace, love, and happiness. What people want for this world right now can only be accomplished through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, who you are Lord, what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, as we close our time together today, we thank you for your word. And Lord, it's hard to hear this for many of us, because we all struggle in some of these areas. We all like to try to continue to put the old garment on. We get up in the morning and we, we put on the dirty clothes. And people in our lives are like, why are you wearing that again? You have new clean clothes, put that on. And it's as simple as taking it off and putting it on, Father. Help us do that. Help us be able to do that. And and help us love you more because, Lord, our behavior, our image, everything will change with the more we love you. So, Lord, if you have to take those things in our lives that keep us from loving you, show us that they're earthly. They might be fun to enjoy. They might be okay to, to experience here and there. But, Father, they're not meant to replace you. So, Lord, show us today how we can love you more, uh, each and every one of us talk into our lives and show us those things, Lord, that we should set aside as we seek to love you. Father, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.